Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Alistair Cooper. Alistair is a senior iOS developer at Whirly, which makes music-related apps, including Whirly Karaoke and Lip Sync Battle. Welcome to the show, Alistair. Hey, Garrick. How's it going? Good. How are you? Excellent. Uh, very good, thanks. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on today. So uh, you work at Lip... I'm sorry, Whirly, right? You guys make yes. Lip Sync Battle. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, about that? What is Whirly? What are you doing there? What's Lip Sync Battle? Yeah, just just paint a picture for us. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so Whirly's a developer in Santa Monica, and they've been going for about, I think, two or three years. I think they've had the the main app, which is called Whirly, uh, so okay. that's a, a karaoke app. And then they branched into um, to kind of making apps for, for other people. So that's when they took on the Lip Sync Battle uh, project for, um, for Spike TV and, uh, and Viacom. Oh, okay. So, so it's, like, um, it's like an agency kind of? Um, yeah, kind, kind of. It kind of does both. Um, I mean, we have the Whirly and a Whirly EDU app that, uh, that we make. But then, um, obviously, Lip Sync Battle is kind of done more sort of like a con consultancy in a way. Okay, and then what do you do there? So I'm um, iOS developer, and I work on the Lip Sync Battle app at the moment. That's kind of my uh, project. What is Lip Sync Battle? So the, there's the, I don't know if you've seen it, but the Spike TV show with uh, LR Cool J, um, where they get a bunch of uh, kind of celebrities on, and they compete lip syncing to songs every week. No, I haven't and, heard uh, of that show. Oh yeah, it's um, I, I guess it's something people often sort of share funny like YouTube clips. I think that's how I first heard of it ages ago. From my wife showed me one of them. She really wanted me to check out. I can't remember what it was now. But uh, so how does the app? Uh, <laughs> how does the app sort of work into there? So the um, in the app you can make lip sync videos to uh, to the songs of your choice, and then they're posted in in kind of a public feed. Of, um, of lip syncs, but then uh, a main feature of the app is that you can then put your video to battle against other people's lip sync videos and uh, people get to vote on them. Okay, but how does that relate to the uh, TV show? Well, in the TV show, they're also, I guess, lip syncing to songs, and this, this is kind of similar in that you're, you're also competing and doing lip syncs. Um, Okay, so there was this TV show, and then they were like, you know what, let's create an app where people can do this too. But there's not necessarily yeah, like yeah. a direct crossover. Like they're not on the TV show, they're not talking about the app. And in the app, there's not really content for the TV show. Well, it's tied in in that um, there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes content. So that was something I was working on recently was adding in a section uh, where we can update the app with behind the scenes content from the show, like videos and um, and sort of exclusive pictures and things like that. And then there's also a section called celebrity videos where you can see uh, certain um, lip syncs for this from the TV show. Okay, cool. And yeah. you are one developer working on that project. You're one of a few developers. Yeah, the way, uh, the way it works is our CTO, uh, Josh Bauer, um, he did m the main kind of amount of architecting on the app to begin with, like kind of long before I got there. 
and then um, so I've taken over all of the kind of front end like iOS development on that app and um, he's kind of maintaining a lot of the, the back end API um, stuff for that and then uh, um, uh, the other iOS developer at Whirly he's working on the karaoke app at Whirly okay cool what's the karaoke app so the name of it is just Whirly after the um, uh, after the company and uh, yeah it's just an app where you can um, you can look through a selection of, of songs and post and you know, post yourself singing it and there's a whole social media uh, aspect of it as well and the, sa- the same thing in Whirly in, a, in Lip Sync Battle as well there's a, a big kind of social media component to it. Okay, so so lip so lip sync is you're like lip syncing. Uh, karaoke is like your vid, it's videos of you actually yeah. singing the songs. Yeah, videos of you singing and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a giant community of people who who are just like really into it and you know post videos every day. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, particularly on lip sync, there's people with like 400 um, lip sync videos. I think. Wow. Yeah, we had a. A funny kind of technical issue the other week where our notifications page or our um, uh, you know like the kind of in-app um, activities basically the API right. was making a call where it was going to the server and I think it was getting a hundred results for the notifications but um, it was also based on kind of a start and end date and you had to kind of feed in the the last like end date was the new start date kind of thing. But okay. effectively what it meant was that if you had more than a hundred in a day, it, it wouldn't carry on. But, I mean, because when you're making the app, like who would you, who would think you would get more than a hundred in a day? Um, but yeah, I had to up the limit to 300 because there's, <laughs> there's like power users who get so many of these uh, notifications. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like if you're somebody really famous, like Puff Daddy or something, you might get like hundreds of you know, or thousands of notifications a day. You know, I mean, those people get like 40,000 <laughs> yeah, yeah. 40, likes, yeah. you know, yeah. on, their, on their photos or something like that. So the karaoke yeah. app, does it have like the music playing in the background and the person singing? Yeah, they've um, licensed uh, tons of great music. And so you can pick the, um, I'm thinking, yeah, mostly it's, I mean, are there original masters in there? Or sometimes there are, uh, sometimes we do re-records to get, obviously you have to get the track without the vocal. Right. And uh, and yeah, you can just sing uh, sing karaoke to them and and post it. Have you posted any karaoke or lip sync battles? Oh my god, uh, I think I'm <laughs> too I'm too shy to post um, <laughs> post any karaoke videos. Although I I kind of want to do like a guitar version of something maybe where I'm, where I'm playing it on the uh, on the guitar. Uh, yeah, for lip sync, I posted. Um, I just have a couple of videos. Partly because I had to really like test. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to test the social. Um, media aspect of it and the the battles aspect of our app and just see how like how that flow worked i mean when i when i got the job um i think i had basically you know like a week or maybe two weeks of um of a bit of sort of leeway to um to kind of learn what was going on so i took a a big kind of sketchbook and just like sketched out the flow of all of the different kind of view controllers and then i mean even even now i'll sometimes try to you know go back and reference that because um, it's a lot to keep in your head i mean there's something like 187 files that are compiled <laughs> in this app that's a really good uh, point you're making it's like kind of if you're coming into an existing project you know how do you manage sort of orienting yourself to the project yeah exactly um and i think you've got to yeah you know you kind of start with 
sort of the app delegate and um and then maybe the home screen and and just see how that sort of works out and how i mean basically how the the view controllers flowed from one to the other is the the kind of easiest starting point how but, was uh, the existing code base was it you know was it easy to deal with was it difficult because like you know at farmers it's been you know especially at first it was really difficult to like take a look at this existing code base it was built by you know third-party contractor they don't really care too much about like code quality and scalability and anything like that or maintenance um it, yeah, it was really yeah. tough and i still uh have trouble um you know finding the joy you know in working <laughs> this code base what was it like for you it, it was really, really good. Um, I mean, yeah, even now, like the app is so expansive that there's still certain areas that I, I haven't sort of looked into, like fully absorbed and, and, under, and understood. But um, I mean, for the most part, I, I'm kind of confident with it now. But yeah, I also feel like I was really lucky because it's it's just architected and written in such a such a great way. It's it's very kind of clean code. Um, there actually aren't too many comments but um i think it's written in that you know a, a way that maybe we all sort of aspire to write code in and that it's readable without tons and tons of comments so it was just uh, great to be able to learn i think particularly that one of the things for me was just about how to architect an app on this scale like when you've got a huge api um with you know loads and loads of different services and how do you manage that how do you manage like all the analytics like because when i when i made my app um you know axe collector uh, so i would just sort of add in the events kind of as i needed them here and there but um you know when you do an app on a huge scale um it's just kind of silly and you're better to make uh, you know like singletons um, and kind of manager classes to, to do that What's your guys's uh, back end for for like Axe Collector? What we're using Firebase, and then like what were you using? What are you guys using if you're able to to tell us for uh, Lip Sync Battle? Oh, yeah, yeah. So for for my app Axe Collector, uh, I just used Core Data, so there isn't really so much of a, a back end per se. Although there's oh right mobile analytics in it, but um, but yeah, we're using all of um, AWS and, oh, cool. uh, and kind of EC2s um, for. Yeah, for, for like for all the whirly, all the whirly stuff. Awesome. Yeah, which, you, have, um, you have some experience with AWS, so that's like maybe a little familiar for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it it really kind of paid off. Like all the, the sort of time I spent, uh, I spent learning AWS and um, sort of experimenting with it on my own, and then um, I also did a like the developer associate certification. And uh, so yeah, I'd highly recommend doing that if um for any you know listeners who are like interested in learning a bit more about the back end um if you go through that i mean the only thing about that certification is it's not um like mobile specific so there's uh, there's giant areas like um virtual private networks we had to learn quite a lot about that whereas it's not something i, I you know ever use day to day okay but, um, virtual private network is that like a vpn yes yes oh, okay yeah but, uh, but it certainly really helped. Um, <clears throat> it definitely helped getting you know my current job. I'm ha- kind of having yeah. that experience. Oh, pardon me. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember you taught a session at Learn Swift LA on AWS. Yeah, that was <clears throat> that was really fun. It's uh, it's great what you can do with AWS for 
you know, almost no money a month. <laughs> you can, you know, you can experiment with spinning up your own servers and having tons of, say, storage on S3. Um, you can do loads with all the analytics stuff and it hardly costs anything um, as opposed to like going out and buying, you know, your own servers or like learning this stuff, you know, with a book like 20 years ago or something like that. <laughs> I tried doing uh, server-side Swift and then deploying to uh, Amazon and then, yeah, I don't know, it didn't really work and got kind of frustrated and I was like, oh, I'm going to try this again later. So maybe one day you can lead another session on AWS now that you have more experience with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I haven't looked into server-side Swift, but uh, that is very, <clears throat> very exciting. It would maybe kind of take down some of the language barriers for, um, you know, like it, with AWS, if you want to write, if you want to use Lambda, which is a big kind of a hot sort of, you know, the, technology the, right the, now. What is it called? Serverless functions or something? Yeah, the, uh, running it serverless and using API gateway and sort of Lambda functions and then DynamoDB as opposed to having a database that's installed on an EC2. You can actually use um, their database uh, with their managed hardware and stuff, stuff like that. Um, but you know, I was going to say, yeah, with uh, with Lambda, it has to be in, uh, say, Java, and I think there are a bunch of other supported languages, but like not Swift yet. Oh, I see. Yeah, so it'd be cool if it was supported in Swift, because as you said, that'd be one less language barrier. Um, yeah, some people are always like, oh, you know, you should learn another language. You should learn another language. And I'm like, yeah, maybe one day. But like for now, like I have a language that I've learned and I want to learn all the different things I can do with it. That way it's one less thing I need to learn. Then if I you know, want to do something, but I can't do it with Swift, you know, maybe I'll learn another language. Um, so. yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to just mention real quick how Alistair and I uh, met. So I think it was maybe in like, January 2015 or something. Uh, I'm not, not sure exactly, but I remember you came to Opods, one of our Learn Swift LA, um, you know, meetups. Yeah. And, um, you know, we met early on, I think, like in, in your sort of transition, um, mm -hmm. which I'll let you talk about, you know, and I know you were going from a, a music composer and uh, I'm not sure at the time if you were just discovering your interest in um, iOS development or you know, you had already like set, set out to become an iOS developer, but, um, you know, over the last, um, you know, couple of years you did it, you know, you were, um, just like, you know, me, just like Raghav and I'm sure other people, um, you know, a lot of people out there, uh, they've made that transition from whatever they were doing to, you know, to following this passion of, of iOS development. Um, so I really wanted to have you on because I was getting a lot of messages from people, emails, uh, Twitter, saying, hey, can you have more people on that you know haven't been coding since they were five years old? And uh, actually, I mean, I don't know your whole backstory, but I assume, you know, you, you haven't been. Uh, I have not been coding since <laughs> I was five years old, no. <laughs> yeah, so I really wanted to have you on because I thought, like, your story um, was one of those stories where it's like, you could do it. Um, so yeah, Al Alistair has been coming to Learn Swift uh, LA, um, you know, meetups for a while, even led sessions, and um, you know, in a short period of time, went from um, being a music composer to being an iOS developer uh, full time. You know, working at Whirly. So yeah, I really wanted to have you on for that reason. Um, yeah, really yeah, cool it's. Um, <clears throat> I know, just sort of listening to you describe some of it, just. Um, yeah, made me think about what an amazing kind of journey it's been in the last two or so years and kind of the position that I've ended up now. Um, I mean, to be honest, like, yeah, I'm just so 
happy now <laughs> at my <laughs> at my job. I I really love it, and uh, yeah, I'd be happy to share you know as much detail about this um, kind of uh, epic epic story as I as I can. But uh, yeah, I started out as a as a music composer in LA, um, you know, professionally in two thousand and four. So I had been to to Berkeley College of Music was the um, the sort of impetus to move to the states in the beginning. So um, I came to Berkeley in two thousand, and uh, I actually did a, a music production and engineering degree. So besides being being a composer, um, there's also been a, a heavy kind of tech aspect to to everything I've done, and even in you know my kind of studio setup and my approach to music um, has has been from a slightly kind of technical angle. But um, like yeah, with all like the sound, <laughs> the sound, like the soundboards and um, all the different you know the gadgets that you can use to like make music. Yeah, I think even really in this modern era when um, I mean, I was, I was a composer for film and TV and commercials, and I did some video games. And the responsibility of, of the composer has kind of expanded greatly, especially with what the, you know, the options that technology opened up. I mean, a lot of the, the projects you would be, well, you'd definitely be the kind of recording engineer and mixing engineer almost 100% of the time. Um, you know, lots of the times, the majority of the time, you don't get to work with a you know, big live orchestra. So you're maybe playing or you're using samples and um, or you're using kind of, you know, software synthesizers and, and things like that. So the, the really cool thing and one of the similarities is that you're always learning, you know, new technology. And I felt like as a composer, I was always becoming, you know, a bit better every every day. Um, so that's one of the things that it really shares. So you're working as a composer, um uh... For for how long were were you a composer before you sort of decided to make this this jump? Uh, I think it was about twelve years or so. Wow. Um, yeah, just uh, a, a brief sort of history of that was I came to yeah LA in two thousand four. So I started working as a kind of music editor slash assistant slash composer for um, a really brilliant TV composer uh, by the name of Mark Leggett. And so we worked on a lot of you know, National Geographic and Discovery um, TV documentaries at the time. I mean, we would do, I mean, I've just done like hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of episodes of these. Wow. And um, it was done in such a way that every show that came in, you would use kind of your existing library of music that you'd already made. And then you would write some new pieces as well, because there would never be enough time or sort of scope to, to like do an original episode in that time and so yeah you ended ended up with this giant kind of library and machine of music that was being reused and reused in different shows and um that was a great great learning experience yeah kind of like um like reusable code in a way yeah yeah definitely um i mean i think one of the downsides (laughs) one of the sort of issues with that was that um maybe music has been a bit cheapened by this kind of librification Uh. of it, even though for me it was, it was a bit of a double-edged sword because, um, after I finished working on TV documentaries, uh, I also wrote a lot of music for film trailers. And in a way, I mean, I came into it, I feel like almost at the peak of that, where 
there was still like the budget to go out and record with live orchestras and do really really high quality like super high quality music i mean we'd spend you know maybe weeks even on just one cue but then um once you've done that piece it's kind of put into this catalog and pitched on all these big trailers and so you know you could have the same piece of music that's used in you know like a thor trailer that's in harry potter that's in something else and um so it was a really good ecosystem for a long time and um i got to work with a company called x-ray dog who had some great other composers uh working at the time and um yes it was good and i think i mean you're always as a composer i think aspiring to do say like film and like network tv okay um you know those are those are kind of the big things you want to do i mean i've I've also done just hundreds and hundreds of um tv commercials as well (laughs) yeah but um that's the bread and butter yeah, I found that you needed to be very diverse and have a, a diverse kind of set of skills skills, and um, and just sort of approach each of these different mediums with a great deal of kind of respect for how they're different and how you need to learn how to work in that medium. Like, for example, if you're writing music for trailers, it has to be very, very traileristic. Otherwise, nobody will ever license it and you will not make any money. <laughs> um so you said yeah. that you were working for about 12 years um, at the point of when you decided you might uh, you need to make a change. So take us to that point. Uh, why? How, how did you come to the decision that you want to do something else, uh, something different? And what was going through your mind and why? Why were you thinking this? Well, um, I mean, it's it's sort of hard to, to talk about in a way, but I think the last few years it just became a bit kind of um, negative and you, f- you felt a bit sort of out of control with how certain aspects of the industry, um, I mean, to be honest, they were just, you know, objectively speaking, declining. <laughs> um, you know, commercials were getting, it, it was just really silly, like how many demos they would commission. So your chance of actually winning was, was a lot lower. Um, you know, things like film budgets, for music would kind of go down. I mean, I have a friend from college who was saying to me the other day that, yeah, when he, when, you know, we graduated and he was doing independent films, like the budgets for music were higher then than he's getting now. Like, even though he has tons and tons of experience, but, uh, wow. And yeah, I think I was just feeling very kind of unfulfilled, uh, which is, you know, it's difficult because it's the thing that you're very passionate about and you kind of poured your whole life into it. And there's a certain, I think, mindset with, artists um and i've heard i've heard this from some of my other friends is that uh oh say being say being a composer or being a painter like it isn't what you do it's who you are you know mm, as yeah. if um as if you didn't if you didn't do those things you have no value <laughs> right um, as, as a human being and i just think um that's not really true and i mean unless maybe for a handful of people in human history like if you're mozart or bach or Beethoven then yeah maybe if you didn't do music you (laughs) I don't know you sort of wouldn't be able to do anything else but I think for a lot of other people it's more important to look at your um your kind of core values and try to understand those and what makes you tick and um uh, what kind of brings you fulfillment um or not you know not necessarily this kind of modern interpretation or, or chase or, you know, chasing of like happiness of, of it being kind of as simple as that 
but uh, on a more underlying level, what is going to give you fulfillment in your life. And, sure. uh, and I just kind of felt that I had the choice to maybe either carry on down a bit of a negative path and think like, well, what would I be like in 20 or 30 years if I kind of carried on doing that? Um, and I think around the time, you know, my wife and I were, uh, were thinking of starting a family. And, uh, and so that kind of made me reflect uh, a lot on, on the issues as well. And, you know, I just kind of thought, you know, I love, I love working hard and learning new things. And, you know, I kind of, I have a brain and I have some time, hopefully on earth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what can I do with those things? So what were the core values for you? And like, how, how, how did you realize you weren't getting them from your current work? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I had, there was one kind of tipping point project where I was on a, I was working on a film, but I was working on it kind of with another composer or actually I'd done a film with him and then we did a, it was kind of a TV web series or something like that. And, but I was working almost in like an additional music capacity. Um, it was a, it was a bit like, because I kind of saw it as a route into say doing like what's called additional music for say big, like feature films, which is sort of an avenue for a lot of people to get into having their own big feature films. If that makes any sense. Okay. Yeah. It's a way to break into um, the big feature films. Okay. But yeah, essentially, you know, I'd already been, um, you know, working kind of, kind of for 10, 10 years or something like that at the time. And, um, and, uh, I don't know, I just didn't find the, the experience that sort of fulfilling. And I just kind of thought, I don't really want to be, you know, a composer who's like an additional music composer for some bigger name guy and have that be like my career for the next 20 years. It's, you know, it just, it just wasn't good. Um, okay. So you're, you wanted to be more fulfilled. You weren't getting that from, from the music. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. You were asking about the, um, the, the core values, um, aspect of it. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of hit that brick wall and, um, like with that one project or, uh, yeah, actually something, something really bad happened was that he realized he could actually do the rest of this um, TV series by himself. And so I was kind of dropped from it. It was like, oh, wait, man. didn't we have this? Yeah. So, but I mean, it worked out for the best because I think that was one of the shocks that made me really reevaluate everything. So because I knew that I didn't have tons and tons of time to, uh, to sort of mess around, um, because, you know, we were you know, thinking of having a family and, and that kind of stuff. I thought like, how, how can I do this in the most efficient way? How can I kind of break myself apart almost sort of atom by atom and sort of see what's on the table and, <laughs> and how to like reassemble. Okay. Uh, so how did you went, do that? Well, I did a couple of things. I went to a career counselor, uh, at, um, it's called, called the California careers center. And Interesting. So I met okay. with, yeah, I met with a counselor there and, um, I did a couple of sessions. I also read this book, uh, What Color Is Your Parachute? That's a, a popular book about um, making career changes. And so I did, um, yeah, I did a really sort of hard process of going through and doing all the sort of worksheets from that and, and essays and things like that. And um, I mean, as I'm talking about it now, the, like, the funny thing is that transitioning into being a software developer and a programmer is, was such the obvious choice. <laughs> like, as I, um, as I evaluated some of these other careers that maybe 
um, were in line with my sort of core sort of, sort of values, like um, architecture or something like that. It, it just didn't really appeal to me. But as I started to break it down and look at what is it to be a, a software developer, um, so many of these aspects are so similar about what I love about being a composer. What are they? Um, I think being sort of being, um, I mean, this is going to sound, I don't know, new agey or something, but, uh, you know, being in touch with kind of fundamental building blocks of, um, of creation and then, you know, assembling something from these building blocks almost in slowed down time. And then they're perceived in, in real time. So if you, if you say, I mean, like when you're writing a piece of music, you're say writing the viola part and you're kind of listening to that and you're working on that, but you've got to have an idea of it in the context and when it's going to be perceived as a piece of music in real time. And software development's a lot like that in that you're looking at smaller aspects of code and, um, but you have to keep in mind this bigger, bigger goal. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's so really interesting. So wait, how is, how does that translate to like a core value or, or something about you that fulfills you? Just you're being you're in touch with these fundamental building blocks of of creation. You said right. Yeah. So how does I think that for me, you know, making making art and and making software? I mean, it all. Uh, I don't really know like the the sort of ultimate meaning of life, but I think like ex- exploring what makes you human and um, kind of pushing yourself to be better. Like that, we you know we kind of have to do that all the time. Um, in our, you know, in our coding projects, and we're constantly sort of reevaluating ourselves. And I think, you know, kind of learning about yourself, and um, yeah, you're you're kind of achieving, you know, sort of fulfillment through that. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing this reevaluation. This it sounds like actually like a rigorous process where you're um, getting advice from uh, uh, this career counselor. You're doing these worksheets. You read this book. So you're going through this like rigorous process of self-evaluation. Through that process, did you discover um, that software development was a possibility? Yeah, um, I mean, I do have. It is somewhat in my DNA because um, because my dad was actually a project manager with IBM, and he started out, you know, doing a CS degree, and um, uh, yeah, so it was always. I felt like, you know, kind of a bit in my blood and, and actually, um, the, the funny thing is, is when I was 18, uh, I had a choice uh, kind of between going and doing a computer science degree at York university and then going and doing a, a music degree at Berkeley. Um, and sort of the funny irony is that I'm, um, you know, I'm sort of able to have done both really in kind of in one lifetime. So that's, that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're, you know, through this, Reevaluation, you you know, and you're saying software development is in your DNA. Um, you what happens? Do you you realize you want to do software, or was it just like a cho- one option and you tried it? Did you tr- did you dabble in a couple different things, or did you discover like you know what software development seems aligned? You know, by looking at this like graph of myself, software development looks aligned. Like, how did the decision to the, to say okay, I found it, and this is what I'm going to go for? How did that come about? Well, I've done a fair, like a little bit, uh, I suppose, web development, uh, you know, over the years, like I've always maintained my own uh, website. And um, even back when I was maybe 15, I'd, I'd learned Flash. And so I'd done 
you know, like programming to a degree in, in that sense. But um, yeah, just as I sort of weighed up all the options and got really excited about programming, I think, uh, I mean, I just jumped right into it. I think it was through Code Academy was the first um, kind of learning tool that I used. And so I went through and did, um, I did a lot of their web stuff first. So like all the HTML and CSS and they have a, a really good JavaScript course on there. So that was my first maybe, you know, introduction in, in terms of kind of real programming, like with, with JavaScript and learning about the fundamentals in that sense. And then it became apparent um, fairly quickly that uh, the iOS was a really, really appealing, um, you know, kind of you know, vehicle for, for this art and craft. Um, you know, it's just so exciting that you know, everybody's kind of carrying around these devices that you can make something for, and then everybody in the world has instant access to it. <laughs> Um, you know, and the, you know, all the stuff that we really love about Apple, um, like the, the kind of consistency that they maintain with all their devices. And, you, you know, you pretty much know that everybody's on the latest operating system. And so that makes it a, a, a really appealing kind of vehicle, you know, like with, with web development, I mean, nothing, sort of nothing against like web developers, but, um, but I think it is, um, it's kind of different in a way because you're supporting a lot of different browsers and you're not exactly sure how it's it's going to be presented in the world whereas i feel right. with ios there's a bit more kind of consistency yeah okay so you you're going through this this reevaluation you decide on software development then you decide on ios development uh, you, what do you do do you quit your job as a composer um, and go study full time what what did you do so uh, one of the one of the good things about being a composer and um, kind of owning your own publishing or licensing things is that after a while you'll build up a bit of a kind of residual income that's coming in every so often. So I was able to really go almost cold turkey from wow. professional composing. I mean, I think I did one commercial in um, like uh, in twenty sixteen or something like that. Um, but, but yeah, so that was kind of helpful to support this transition. And then my, you know, wonderful and, you know, infinitely supportive wife, <laughs> um, you know, has just been great all the way through this. Let's so, talk, yeah. let's talk about that. Um, so you decide to quit your job, um, and, um, tr do this transition. Uh, it's a big decision. Uh, what are you, did you consult anybody uh, once you decided like you were going to do it, did you consult anybody? Who did you consult? What did, what were those conversations like? Um, well, you know, firstly, I, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 35 now, but uh, you know, I still go to my parents for advice. <laughs> so, um, me, me too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I sat down with them and it was, you know, you tell pretty them? emotional conversation. Um, very, very kind of emotional because they had, you know, I felt like supported this, this leap into, into music, you know, and now it was, um, you know, a sort of transition point in that journey. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they were just, you know, a hundred percent supportive. Um, what did you say to yeah. them? Um, I think that they'd been seeing that I wasn't really fulfilled for, for a while. So it was kind of understandable, um, you know, because there was a few years where, um, the work would be, you know, you know, kind of slower. Um, 
and I mean, I think one one of the other things that kind of sparked my transition um, going slightly off topic was like, I actually got really into triathlon and uh, Ironman triathlon as well. And Like uh, watching it or? No, uh, no, doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I did a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of Ironman training as well in my in my last kind of few years as a composer. Um, but one of the things that kind of taught me was that I actually like being being more part of a team that's um, that's full of very exciting, like driven, positive people who are working on this big goal. And so, doing a career change to move into a field that um, has more of a kind of team environment and a lot more kind of positivity and growth was something that was really uh, really appealing and yeah I mean a lot of my friends um, I mean it was difficult sometimes like telling my other friends who were composers that I was going to do this um, and also in, in a way that was you know respectful for like them carrying on in in, in the field and, right, and doing their thing right. but some of them actually one of my friends the first thing he said was uh, or his, his wife said oh don't you have a swift book on your desk <laughs> it's like um, he'd been he'd been looking into it himself. Um, oh, cool. Okay, so yeah. Alistair, listen, there are people out there right now who are going through what you've gone through, or who are thinking about going through a, a similar transition, and they're thinking about having whether or not they, you know, need to have a conversation like this with their parents or their loved ones or their friends, and um, and they're they need to know, like, you know, they want to. They want to know, like, how did you handle it? And so I really want to press you here. Like, what, how did you go about this? Like, how did you tell your parents? How did you tell your wife? How did you tell your friends? Or, and like, how did they respond? Um, or at the very least, like, what advice do you have for somebody who is, you know, going or thinking about making that type of a decision or thinking about whether or not they need to tell their, you know, their friends or their family this and like how to go about it? Yeah, well, Firstly, uh, you know, I'd say definitely don't don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a great field, um, you know, in general and specifically now that uh, that I just think it's a it's a great decision if this is something that you know interests you and you know you're sitting down and you find that writing code or doing tutorials or making apps is something that you're really excited about, but maybe you're apprehensive, like you know, you're kind of thinking. Oh, can I really be sort of paid to to do this? <laughs> um, yeah, you totally you totally can. Like even sometimes, you know, I'm sitting there at my my desk, and I'm just like, whoa, I'm working on this really cool little problem, and you know, I got something to work. It's like, am I being paid for this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, and in terms of uh, in terms of telling people about it, um, yeah, in my case, I think you know, Kimberly was just unaware. It was just very aware of. Uh, how kind of stressed or how much pressure I was putting on myself based around these, say, projects or scenarios that I just couldn't control. Like, I just couldn't control the the decline of certain, you know, aspects of of music. And so, yeah, she was just, you know, 100% supportive. And um, I think, you know, she knew that whatever I would choose to do, I would... Um, you know, put all kind of all my effort into. So, um, yeah, so yeah, there was never really any sort of questioning or, or <laughs> you know, or sort of doubt or anything like that. I think, I think because she also saw that, uh, like, I'm putting so much pressure on myself that I just don't need any from <laughs> anything else, you know, if you know what I mean. 
What do you mean? Well, um, I have to kind of think about that in my in my current work situation. That I think it's it's a brilliant situation because I have you know kind of a lot of responsibility to uh, you know like we work in two week sprint cycles, and I have a certain amount of um, you know tasks to do and. And then we're we're kind of updating pretty frequently, like every you know two or three weeks, which is quite um, demanding to do. But um, but I just uh, you know the way that our CTO kind of manages the developers is very much to give you um, the you know the kind of responsibility and you know the burden without sort of looking over your shoulder, if you know what I mean, and kind of saying like, oh, when autonomy. have you done this? When have you done that? Yeah. So you have a, you know a ton of a ton of autonomy and. Um, you know, I put myself under a lot of, of pressure to kind of get, you know, get all these things done and QA tested and and, uh, and shipped to the store. It sounds like you, you know, with your friends and family, you had sort of built up this kind of trust. And so, um, you know, that's what I had to do. I just told my friends and family, like, trust me, you know, and then and they supported me. And so it sounds like maybe you had that type of trust as well. Like you were naturally just that kind of person that did a you know a good job at your whatever you did and so when you made that decision people trusted you that you would you know follow through and, and, and do a good job yeah everyone was just um just very very supportive and you know um had a lot of uh, kind of belief and i mean i don't think i've had a single kind of negative reaction um in fact there was a friend um around this morning who was who was actually in the music business so i was kind of telling my whole sort of story and giving advice to because um, she's thinking of becoming a coder oh cool what did you tell um, him yeah oh i went through just all like every resource that i i used to learn and you know and everything i kind of did along the way all the sort of websites and how to build your your cv in a in a very short amount of time um because that's a you know a difficult thing to do but you know some of the some of the things like um, you know like going to your wonderful meetup and uh, and teaching at that meetup, um, so, you know starting your own blog, is something I'd highly recommend. You know I told her to um, just just like start your GitHub profile, you know today, <laughs> because you know then it will um, you'll just get going with that aspect aspect of it. Okay, so you you decide to uh, do iOS uh, and focus on that. Uh, what was like the biggest challenge that you faced when you were first starting to to learn and really dive deep and get into it? Um, I'm trying to think of my first big challenge. Um, so like, so for me, like, you know, and I write about this in my guide, it was like kind of just getting oriented to like what, you know, I had zero programming experience. So like, uh, you know, just getting oriented to this new place that I'd never been to and what was important and what was secondary. Um, so was there anything that stood out for you that, you know, just was really tough at first? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's difficult in a sense when you're a beginner and there's this, um, I guess I kind of have a tendency to want to learn, you know, to learn everything completely before I have any kind of confidence with it, which, in I I, you know, in iOS development is it's kind of diff- difficult in a sense because there's so many frameworks and so much stuff out there that um, particularly in like, uh, say, memorizing um, like API calls and, and stuff like that, um, you know, I would have the tendency to, to maybe like feel bad if I couldn't remember everything about, you know, like a framework or, or something like that. Right. But it's, um, it's, 
it's you know in a sense like not necessary i mean i think you you have to have a, a better like solid theoretical kind of understanding of like the programming basics um and that's good but yeah you don't have to you know be some like m- memory wizard i mean you know you're not like a robot <laughs> so it sounds like your struggle was realizing that you didn't need to memorize everything yeah i think realizing as as well that there isn't one sort of perfect way to do something um in code in in that there can be a lot of you know different styles and there's general guides that you can follow but um but yeah i maybe obsess over oh is this the right thing to do is this the right thing to do i mean i think a good thing a good way to overcome that is just you know you can go on github and look at um some of these open source apps and um, and just other look at other people's code and um and you can kind of see that you know there is a fair amount of freedom to you know even in terms of like commenting let's say like you can write you know lots of comments or less comments or you know there's a lot of different like styles so what was something uh that you can recall that was like it came really easy though you know you might have struggled with this um, you know feeling like you had to memorize everything but with your previous experience um you know you said you did a little bit of like html and flash and um, obviously, like your technical uh, abilities, like you're probably really comfortable with with technology. Um, is there anything that stood out for you um, that came really easy when you were, you know, diving into this sort of new place, this new environment? Um, I think just just kind of learning new things and and getting like tutorial projects to to actually work and run on the phone. Um, all that stuff came fairly fairly easily because I, I kind of got into a bit of a, a habit of what I would do every day. So there was a point where I was doing, um, you know, I'd highly recommend like the hacking with Swift. Um, uh, Paul Hudson, his educational material is yeah. just amazing. So say I would do like a hacking with Swift tutorial and then maybe I'd look at the, you know, the iOS um, Stanford course, you know, I do one of those lectures. Um, and so I think forming a good, habit of what you're doing and, and like forming a plan of how to get to where you want to go came came pretty easily um and you know and also like just focusing on kind of making apps for the store you know focusing on that goal so that your learning is based around something that's really applicable because there's so much it's um so much you know kind of scope in ios so many different things and different directions you could go in that you've got to really like pick pick a few and kind of narrow it down right right yeah i think that was really good um that you focused on getting your first app into the store and with axe collector it's really cool and uh, it's really mm. impressive and uh yeah, it's, it's awesome so it's so cool that you did that thanks um, i had a uh, you know i actually did a apache cordova app but before rapid list oh sorry before axe oh, yeah. collector oh that's I right. had this like simple list app but yeah for sure like axe collector is my first um I would say legit, <laughs> my first little proper app. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, before we uh, get to the last few you know, bits of this episode, I just wanted to take a quick break to um, thank some of my new patrons. Um, so for those that might not know, I have a Patreon page where uh, people can go to support uh, me 
uh, in my you know work in creating uh, SwiftCoders.org, where we do the podcast, and we also do uh, Learn Swift City, where we I think have like uh, you know nine uh, Learn Swift meetups around the world. The latest one that was just created is uh, Learn Swift Northern Virginia, Learn Swift Nova. Um, man, let me look up real quick uh, who who the guy is because I want to shout him out. Um, and then also um, we do our um, we do our like uh, Slack team where we have it started out as like people in just uh, Learn Swift LA, but uh, because we've been expanding, uh, we've opened it up to you know people um, you know all around the world. It's still mostly um, it's still mostly you know LA people, but we have people from all around the world. Um, so yeah, we have like those three big projects that we're doing. And um, so yeah, if you you know want to support the work that I'm doing, um, there's a bunch of people that help me with that. Um, uh, but uh, if you want to support the you know the work that I'm doing to, to to create that, you can go on the Patreon page and um, you know just pledge some you know some support. But uh, in any case, I just wanted to shout out uh, my new patrons. Patrons, uh, the first is Truman. I don't know his last name or if that's his last name or his first name. Uh, I just know him as Truman, so shout out to you. Um, also, Marcos Griselli, uh, thank you so much. And also, Gennady O'Crane. You guys might remember Gennady. We had him on the show a couple times, uh, creator of uh, WWDC Parties app um, or Parties for WW, and also Memento. Anyway, so shout out to you, Gennady. And uh, thank you so much, guys, for uh, supporting. Um, all right, let's um, switch gears a little bit. And um, I want to talk about, you know, Swift specifically, like kind of how, what is your experience with Swift, like how you went about um, kind of learning it, and uh, what's your sort of interest in it uh, these days. Um, So did you, like, did you go straight to Swift or did you have some Objective-C experience or how did that work out for you? Yeah, good question. Um, Thankfully, I did have the opportunity to get some Objective-C experience. Um, So I did uh, have to make a big shout out to Dave Henson and his iOS course at UCLA, um, the UCLA Extension program. Um, Yeah, he has this amazing uh, 12-week course, which at the time he taught in Objective-C. Okay. So even though I'd started learning Swift and I was, you know, really, (laughs) really, really all about Swift, I did his iOS course, and uh, every you know every week he would give you a kind of mini project, and so I would do it in Objective C, and I think I did it. Pro- I did like three different versions. I would do every project like programmatically with Objective C, and then with Interface Builder, and Objective C, and then um, I was doing them in Swift, as well. And um, yeah, I have to say it was just very kind of fortunate that I did that because otherwise I wouldn't have um, I wouldn't have really learnt enough Objective C to do the job that I'm doing right now. <laughs> um, yeah, when the when I had the coding challenge uh, to get the the job at Worley, it uh, it kind of became um, became apparent that, uh, that all our projects are still in Objective C, although I, th- I think that will you know be shifting uh, in the future, but. Um, yeah, so I actually did a massive cram of Objective C then, and um, you know I used uh, Treehouse have really good courses, um, and Paul Hudson, the Hacking with Swift, has a good book on Objective C. So I kind of got my Objective C 
um, you know, up to a good enough level to kind of get through those challenges. And uh, it's it's really funny because when I started the job, maybe 95% of my coding was in Swift. You know, like Axe Collector was in Swift and all my blog um, is, is about Swift. And so it was like, huh, I'm back, um, I'm back doing Objective-C. And there's, there's kind of this barrier of all the um, semicolons and at symbols and brackets that are just like haphazardly flung everywhere seemingly in, in Objective-C. But, uh, but I have to say, I mean, I think, you know, we'll be switching to Swift soon, but uh, it's been kind of a blessing to, to go through and be working in Objective-C just because um, it, even though the syntax is harder, it's actually in a lot of ways more straightforward than Swift in that in Swift it's so powerful and you can do so much stuff with you know, enums and structs and protocols that are completely not available in Objective-C that um, if you're looking at uh, an Objective-C code base, there's a bit less to kind of worry about with some of that stuff, even though it's all brilliant what you can do with Swift. if you get my drift. <laughs> yeah, I think I do get what you're saying. I mean, I don't have uh, as much of experience with Objective-C, but I think I've heard that there are a lot of things in Swift that you don't have in Objective-C. Um, and so what you're kind of saying is like it's a little more constrained um, yeah. in Objective-C, and so it's like easier to grok like a project because there's only so many different ways that you can do something. So are you doing, is Lip Sync Battle in Objective-C completely or? Yep, yeah, it's Objective-C completely. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, are funny. you are you like are you able to do Swift? Like when are you doing any Swift? It's um it's looking like it it might be coming up soon. I think that uh, you know we all went up to WWDC and um my my sort of favorite announcements were were just around Swift and the kind of stability factor around it um in that I I think, uh, you know, there are so many less changes going from three to four that uh, I think that's kind of convinced our, you know, our sort of direction that it's uh, it's a good time. But I mean, the thing is, it's like, it's so, I think it's difficult sometimes maybe to justify switching from a sort of business standpoint when all of our kind of engine, I mean, even kind of Whirly and LSB are sort of built off of this foundation um, that, uh that our, our CTO has made. And so when you come to that decision of like, when should we swift, switch to Swift, you also, you have to sort of look at, wow, like, do we convert all of that? <laughs> you know, every every like manager class and, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, what I've heard people do is uh, like all new classes or all new files are written in Swift. So that could be something you guys do as opposed to converting. Yeah. There's no reason to convert unless, you know, you think that there's maybe some more maintenance or performance or something, you know, gains to convert files. But yeah, um, you know, you can have mixed projects, so maybe maybe you guys can just do like new files in Swift. That's true. Yeah, I would love to love to get back into writing some Swift. Wait, <laughs> so what about like after work? Are you able to, you know, do any Swift? Or I mean, you know, I guess the language hasn't changed like that much on its face. Um, so, but like, are you able to do any, you know, anything on the side? Or oh, it's been um, it's been difficult because. Uh, let's see. So I start at 7am. I'm doing like 7am till about 4pm. And then oh, wow. I'm, I'm coming home and picking up uh, our daughter from daycare and then putting, putting her to bed. And so at the moment, it's, it's been a bit difficult to 
Wow. To, yeah, really like switch into say writing blog posts about Swift. <laughs> right, right. Or like maintaining Axe Collector or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that wow. that kind of thing. Well, um, well, we miss you. I yeah, I miss coming to the meetup. It's such a such a great meetup. I would highly recommend anybody in LA to uh, to go and check it out. Yeah, or if you're in other places, um, oh, go to yeah. go to our website. I have all the the meetups listed. I uh, I took a look. It's Andrew. Rud, Rudkowski, Andrew Rudkowski, he does uh, Learn Swift Nova. So yeah, shout out to Andrew, and congrats on doing that. And uh, okay, so I think that there's uh, one more thing I want to talk about that maybe would be really, really important to uh, to to get out from you sure. is for people who are trying to get their first job. So you know, their first real full time, you know, iOS developer job or you know, uh, software developer job. Yeah, and so. Take us back to to that for you. Like, how did you, how did you go about getting? Uh, and you know, you got like you're essentially the only iOS developer on this particular project. You know, so you're like the yeah. senior or the lead, or you're the project owner, right? Yeah. So, like, how did you do that? Um, like, what would you say are like the big things that you did to make that happen? And it's also like in music, which is what you love. So, how did that happen for you? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I got to the point where I'd released Axe Collector and then I felt like I had a resume that was strong enough to start uh, going for jobs. So, um, yeah, I mean, to be, to be totally honest, uh, I found Indeed.com to be the most useful resource. Um, really? Interesting. I didn't really get that much from, say, stuff like Monster. And one of the big takeaways was um yeah i just didn't find like recruiters to be like the bottom line i didn't find them to be useful for my situation at all because one of the things that became apparent in my job search was that certain people would say view my resume as um uh you know as somebody who is just like just very new to to ios and oh he's done some other stuff in the background or you know in his past and we're not really sort of interested in that whereas <laughs> what what happened what almost took me a while to sort of um realize was that my you know my past was kind of an asset that that had to be used and, and ultimately that the best job fit for me and and the, an employer would be finding somewhere that my you know, previous skill sets and experience were useful and, and were, you know, kind of valued. And so I was really lucky to find that at Worley um, and to kind of find a, a team who, uh, who could kind of, um, you know, sort of see that. I mean, I, I would definitely recommend that to any kind of listeners is like, if you're making this, um, this career change, and you've been out of, say, you went to college and you've been out of college for, you know, 10 years or 20 years or, or whatever. Um, you're, you're making this career change, but you have a lot of experience that makes you very, very different to when you were like two years out of college. You know, if you just think about your whole mindset or approach to uh, interacting with people in a team and, and that kind of stuff, you've actually got a lot of really, you know, valuable kind of skills. Right. So find and use your assets don't be, you know, ashamed of them or hide them or something. So in your case, like the music, all that music professional, you know, composer experience was an asset and it, yeah. you know, made a perfect fit at Worley. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of catapulted, you know, me into just a, a different kind of 
bracket like because you know to be totally honest when i thought about getting a developer job i was just kind of thinking like what am i gonna have to <laughs> what am i gonna have to take you know like how low say a salary like just to get my foot in the door i thought am i gonna have to do some like just getting the foot get getting foot in the door kind of type stuff yeah um but but uh but yeah it worked out really well when i you know sort of viewed my past as, as more of an asset what were those um sort of standards that you if if at all that you set for yourself and like what were you looking for um did you you know yeah like what exactly were you looking for and like willing to do for that first like position did you set anything up like did you have anything in mind or were you just kind of willing to take anything yeah i mean the, the, the funny thing was at the time uh, i wasn't looking to do anything involved you know related to audio or music because um and it sounds kind of funny but in the in the back of my head i was just thinking oh if i do a, a job kind of related to music is it going to be like a lot of the other fields in music where you're you have to slightly like devalue yourself sometimes to to work in that field <laughs> if you know what i mean i thought like i just want to get into the best you know software engineering position at a, a, a great company with a great team and you know follow those sort of core values more than i necessarily just wanted to be around music like for the sake of it um but then i applied you know i applied to this job and i applied to a job at another uh, audio software company and found that i got kind of a lot of interest straight straight away from them in a way that i hadn't from say like talking to recruiters who don't necessarily have a total grasp <laughs> on the things that are really like required to make a good developer if you you know what i mean yeah wow wow so any other pieces uh, of advice for people that are you know just kind of setting out to get their 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 first job like anything that stood out for you maybe in the interview or in the resume or job application cover letter um, or the coding challenge anything like that Wow, um, lots of lots of things there. I, I guess one point that was sort of interesting in my um, process was I did go through a few weeks of really trying to study for like whiteboard interviews. Okay, what and, did you use um, for that? So I used the book, the um, cracking. Oh my god! Yeah, cracking the coding interview. That's the one. <laughs> so yeah, I used that, uh, which is a good book in a, in a lot of respects. Um, and I use the Swift Algorithm Club is a brilliant, brilliant, um, it's a GitHub repo uh, where they've tr uh, they've written a bunch of like classic computer science algorithms in Swift. Um, oh, and also like the Hacking with Swift book called Coding Challenges is really, really good. I you know, can't recommend that one enough. So, um, yeah, having said that, you know, I went through that period and I kind of, you know, learned a lot from it, but... Um, but I don't, I don't know. I feel like the kind of whiteboard interview route, like for example, in the, in the job that I ended up getting, um, I had like really very, very difficult coding challenges that I could do at home, but there wasn't any whiteboard coding. And I think there's a lot of jobs out there that kind of use the, the whiteboard interview as almost like a barrier to kind of get in there. And, and maybe they're, they're companies that have to delineate between a lot of computer science graduates and like that's one way of doing it so i mean there's a lot of value you know in learning that and being like theoretically sound but it's it's not and in many respects directly applicable to like making apps and getting the job done right right 
Um, yeah. So I guess, I mean, it's hard to, to know because not every company, I mean, it seems like maybe the bigger companies do like that more whiteboarding and then the smaller companies are just more interested in like, can you develop an app? Yeah, I, th- I think um, in answer to your, to your question, that would be my advice for maybe somebody who's making a career change is don't get too stressed by if you've got the hacking, uh, sorry, the, the um, cracking, the coding interview book, it's incredibly daunting that the amount of sort of knowledge you would think you would need to get a developer job. But it's, um, it's not, you know, there, there are just different kinds of companies out there. And the, the great thing is, you really just have to find one job that's that's a great fit for you. So if you, uh, I would put more emphasis on kind of making apps and just like solving problems and um, of course being, you know, theoretically and fundamentally sound is very, very important, but I wouldn't super stress over memorizing like binary tree searches right. <laughs> because yeah, maybe you won't get the job that wants you to be able to memorize that or like or quick sorts or some or things like that but um but that's okay because you know right now you only need one job so (laughs) that's a good thing okay cool so uh we've reached the end uh but before we go i want to do a couple things uh so we've uh we're at the rapid fire section um so a couple questions here for you mr cooper uh first is what drives you Whoa! Um, in a hmm. rapid in a rapid fire round, uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, pu- sort of pushing myself, t- testing myself, and testing the essence of what it means to be a human on Earth. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. There you go. Look at that. And you thought you couldn't do it. <laughs> um, what do you do when you're not coding? So I'm spending time raising uh, my daughter and spending time with my uh, wonderful wife, uh, obviously making music, playing, playing some guitar these days. And um, I signed up for another triathlon. So I'm doing an Olympic distance triathlon in August. So I'm doing like lots of training and I'm actually biking to Santa Monica like uh, for commuting from, from the valley. So that's, uh, that's a good amount of fun. Like for work? Yeah. Whoa, yeah, you commute from the valley to Santa Monica every day for work? Like on a bike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Sepulveda. Wow. How long does that take? <laughs> uh, about like 50 minutes to an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, um, Not too bad. Yeah, some, sometimes it's faster than the car coming, coming home. I skateboard to work sometimes. It's four miles, though. For you, Whoa. that sounds like maybe it's uh, 10 That's miles? a long way. Uh, yes, yeah, four, 14 miles. Um, oh, wow. Uh, 14 thousand, miles. 1,000 feet of gain on the way home. <laughs> well, because what the Sepulveda going up, Sepulveda going down. Yeah, up, uphill both both ways. But four wow. miles on a skateboard—that's ah, that's pretty immense. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, it how, only takes forty minutes. Whoa! How far do people go? Are they like long distance skateboarders? Yeah, yeah, no, that's not a big <laughs> that's deal. Cool. Wow, that's impressive though. Awesome. Okay, uh, these ones should go pretty quick. Uh, desktop or laptop? Laptop. Nice. What laptop do you have? I have the uh, the MacBook Pro, uh, the newer black one. Ooh, the space gray one. Yep, the space gray. Nice. Space gray. With the touch bar? It has a touch bar and built-in finger heaters. Um, yeah, the, the keyboard gets quite toasty. I know, right? <laughs> like the touch bar area, like right there, it gets really like hot. The whole, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the whole keyboard and everything. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not giving a very rapid-fire answer. But, no, yeah. no, not at all. <laughs> uh, they're rapid-fire questions, not necessarily rapid-fire answers. 
Okay, I have to say about the MacBook Pro, like what is up with the um, the energy saving mode? It looks like they turn off the GPUs as a default and you actually have to turn them on if you want to use them. So I found that if you have it on its default setting and then you just go to say YouTube and you're watching videos, the CPU goes nuts and it's it really heats up. Like you can huh. fry some bacon on that. Yeah. Huh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure. Okay. Um, and let's see, standing or sitting? Uh, sitting. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Git. Uh, do you guys do like Git flow? Uh, use source control at at Whirly? Uh, yes, we use Git. Awesome. And do you do any Git from the command line or f- uh, mostly from the GUI? I do s- uh, a little bit from the GUI, but um, yeah, a lot of it from the command line. Okay, cool. Mix of uh, both. Yeah, and I, and I can I can admit that I have a document called Git Notes on my computer, and it's like any time there's a Git, you know, a Gitastrophe. Gitastrophe. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Good. I, I have a section where the uh, what's it when the git hits the fan, and it's like whenever something really bad's happened, and I kind of learn what to have done to fix it. I sort of add it to this document, and then I can go back. Yeah, but, totally. Um, yeah, these these days it's going a lot smoother than you know when you first get get like a big new project. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, do you have like a favorite um, text editor like Vim or Emacs? Um, not particularly. I mean, I use the just the VI editor in the terminal. Okay, cool. Yeah, I use uh, Vim mostly. I haven't Ooh, used I VI, so it's VI. V- it's like Vim is VI improved. I think is what it stands for. So it's like the next oh. VI. Oh, that's good because it's like VI yeah, I don't like stuff. using it. <laughs> uh, okay, you don't like using VI? No, I I just can't. I just can't get used to it. You can change it to like anything you want. You could change it to. Um, I mean, with Xcode, oh, right. Xcode has uh, Markdown. Well, Xcode nine has Markdown support now too. So you can do Xcode. I think probably you could do Sublime Ooh. Text, Atom. You could change it to anything. There's Nano. Oh, that's great! Oh, actually, I use Nano as well. Yeah, actually, Nano would be my answer. Do you? Yeah. Uh, how about test testing? No testing at Whirly. Uh, no, no unit or UI testing at the moment. But we guys... have a we have a QA um, a QA oh. tester. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, all right, let's look at your uh, Twitter bio. So I think we kind of covered most of the stuff. Music, AWS, the triath- triathlon. That's cool. I didn't know that about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I like this uh, profile picture. It's a pretty professional photo. Where'd you get that? <laughs> uh, no, no, that that's me against my kitchen wall. Uh, what? Just, the lighting is so good. What kind of camera? Just a selfie. Just the the 6S. What? <laughs> Unbelievable. It's funny, funny you say that. Yeah, it's, it's all about the filter. It's heavily filtered. Oh. No. <laughs> face, face tune? <laughs> face tune. What does that do? Um, it's a thing that people use to like... Um, change you I, I don't know like most okay people, it. it's face tune so a lot of people use it to tune their face Ooh. but i think you could use it for anything but like you know people will smooth out blemishes and stuff like that anyways i met the guy who uh created it or at least he's on the, one of the team members of one of the founders it's an cool. Isra- israeli company oh nice uh, yeah um okay uh last thing you have this uh your last tweet was four hours ago lip sync battle version 1.3.4 live on the app store now yay that's super cool congratulations thank you (laughs) i'm looking at this uh invite to battle this person versus that person what's this new screen or something uh, yeah, there was a whole new system for um, for finding your Facebook friends who all have also installed LSB 
and logged in using the Facebook login. So that will they'll show up, and you can also uh, randomly randomly battle, um, and it, like an opponent will be assigned automatically. Awesome, that's so cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to admit, I'm really really like admire and uh, kind of slightly jealous actually. Like I've been watching you like put out all these um, you know updates, and it's like you you know you're doing it. And uh, I don't know, it's just really cool. And I, I, I want to find something like that too. Like, uh, you know, Farmers is awesome. Uh, yeah, how does it work with um, with updates with you guys? Oh, it's like a whole other team that does it. And like, there's just so many moving parts, you know. Um, you know, I've been there a year. Uh, I, I don't know, it's really cool just like seeing like how you're doing it. Like, um, I don't know, just like, I don't know if I want to be the only developer. Like, I like working with other people. Um, but it's just cool. Like, you're just... You're like really like the you're very connected to like the whole process where for us it's like you know it's a huge company there's uh, we like we release with every all the other like technology um platforms like web and all this other stuff android oh, right. we all sort of move in the same sort of pace and uh, it's just really cool so i just wanted to let you know um it's awesome so happy yeah i mean you. i should give a quick a quick shout out we have a great um ux person and uh, ui designer there's a 3d artist uh, thomas who's just amazing and he does all the masks like um you can you can add masks to your face um, and then of course you know josh bauer is just like an amazing super genius and um so yeah he's really been like supportive of uh, of any you know kind of questions i have about the app because you know he did the uh, the um the architecting and like the original code base right right well shout out to all your coworkers that's <laughs> awesome okay Alistair thank you uh so much um let's see where can people contact you online if at all uh, so they can find me on Twitter <coughs> uh, it's uh, Swift is it Swift Composer I think is my Twitter handle or SwiftCodeComposer.com uh, is my website and yeah anybody you know feel free to get in touch if you have you know, any questions about anything, I'm really happy to help anybody who's, um, you know, making a transition. Awesome. And uh, I'm going to sort of do like a little audible here. It's slightly like an audible. One piece of advice for people that are like that know Objective-C, you know, that are coming from Objective-C that are, you know, thinking about, you know, who are starting to learn Swift since, you know, you have some Objective-C experience and uh, or, you know, that you work with Objective-C a lot but you also, you know, started with Swift. What's one piece of advice you'd tell somebody like that? Um, well, I think you're just going to love it. I mean, once you get, uh, once you get accustomed to optionals and, you know, using optionals, uh, I feel like it's, um, it's much preferable over a lot of like the nil checking <laughs> you have to do um, when you do that. And, and, you know, don't be too concerned by all of the kind of type safety uh, kind of checks in Swift. I think you will love it once you get used to those two things. And yeah. um, you don't have to write semicolons all the time and like hat <laughs> symbols everywhere. It's great. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Alistair, for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, going from, actually, I don't even know where you were born, but I assume england or somewhere Actually, over there london england yes london um, england i have to say uh, a massive thank you to you um you know not only for like having me on this awesome podcast which i'm a huge fan of but uh, but also just like for your general service to these you know the swift community i think doing doing what you're doing with the meetup and then the podcast and to have the consistency with that just takes you know like a massive amount of discipline which is awesome and uh, i know you're helping you know tons and tons of people out there 
Yeah, my pleasure. It's an <laughs> honor to to serve. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just uh, say thank you for coming on the show today, and you know, sharing your story uh, with us. Like, you know, coming from from your hometown, moving to 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 uh, Berkeley College of Music, where that's on the East Coast somewhere, Boston, right? Boston. Yep. To, to Boston. I mean, even that's like you know probably pretty scary, a big decision, and then you know doing music for twelve years. And then deciding to make a transition, you were honest with yourself and you, you know, you, you made this jump, which was probably a really difficult decision for you at the time. And, uh, you know, you had to tell your friends and your family and your wife, you know, your, your parents and your wife and, uh, and, and making that decision. And you actually went through like a pretty rigorous, sounds like, um, you know, reevaluation, which is really, really um, admirable, I think. And, you know, you settled on um, software development, finally found your way to iOS. You, you know, um, you were all, it was self, you were all self-taught, it sounds like, right? For the most part. I mean, you said you went to that UCLA extension thing, but like. Um, yeah, uh, besides the UCLA extension, I mean, I did some Java courses there and there were some, some really good teachers um, for Java. But uh, yeah, like, let's see, I used Code Academy, Treehouse, Hacking with Swift, um, yeah, yeah a, a cloud guru. Uh, shout out to a cloud guru for if you want to get AWS certified, I'd recommend that. But uh, but yeah, that's like one of the really empowering things right now as a developer is, um, and you could probably appreciate this with your law background is <laughs> like imagine you wanted to become a lawyer now. It's like you're going to go into six figure debt. Uh-huh. I mean, you can make a career change to uh, to iOS with you know with like hardly any like money. I mean, a lot of hard work, but yeah, it's amazing. You know? Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. And uh, and yeah, so I mean... Well, now you're a developer, you'll be able to pay it off really quickly. So. I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, essentially, so, so yeah, like self-taught. And you're right, because of like this amazing, you know, time we live in and the amazing community where all this information is available, a lot of it for free. Um, some of it, you know, sounds like you might have paid a little bit for like Code Academy and things like that. Um yeah, and so you, you know, self-taught and, you know, you put an app in the, in the app store, you, you were coming out to the meetup, you started a blog, you were teaching sessions at Learn Swift LA, uh, and then, you know, you found, uh, once you felt like you were ready to, like, get out there and get a job, um, you, you attacked that, um, you know, very strategically, it sounds like, um, and you, you know, you found this position at Worley, and, you know, you, you went for it, and I remember you called me when you got the position, when you got the news, yeah. you called me, and... Uh, we talked, and um, I just remember hearing the excitement in your voice, and uh, I was really excited for you, and still am. And uh, so, yeah, it's just like I think your story, just like Raghav's, just like mine, and and uh, others. It's like these stories are really powerful for other people um, to hear. So, thank you for coming on and, and sharing uh, sharing that story with us. And I look forward to seeing um, you know seeing what happens in the future. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.